Welcome to a night of total terror. souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. in fear. An experience in shock, more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. A night of total terror. of the living dead I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass I know in the past I have told this story on other podcasts, but I don't know if I've actually told this story on my podcast. Night of the Living Dead was the first movie that I ever had on VHS. My dad, when he brought home our first VCR to our family, was this old, big old box uh, VCR that was a top loader. And the first two tapes that he brought home for the family to view were The Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and Night of the Living Dead. I was very young <laughs> when this happened. So I watched Night of the Living Dead um, probably when I was around seven years old. And it's a movie that I have more than likely seen more than any other film on the face of the planet. I watch it at least once a year, if not more. It's something that has inspired me in, in ways I can't even fathom to put into words it's just been something that's been a part of my life almost like i said since i was seven years old now there was a when we decided my family decided um to move from the suburbs of chicago up to the north woods of wisconsin in the middle of bumfuck nowhere night of living dead at that age didn't have the effect on me 
that it did once I hit probably around 13 years old. Um, we lived out in the middle of nowhere in rural Wisconsin. Uh, my family had uh, this cabin up in the middle of Hayward, which is up in the way up in the Northwoods. Um, it's kind of like a resort town where there's lots of lakes. There's it's Indian reservation land. It's it's kind of the the sexy getaway for everybody to go up there with their family and their friends, drink beers, go tubing, uh, fish, all that kind of stuff. And one weekend, I decided when they were going to go up to the the cabin to stay back and uh, just hang out by myself at the house. And they were like, "Okay, sure, whatever." And I watched Night of the Living Dead at night by myself in the country. And we had a cemetery that was nearby our house. Now, I don't know if uh, you guys or the listeners are, are familiar with how dark it gets in the country. It gets pitch dark especially when it's overcast. It's not like when you're in the city and you see the surrounding ambient light from other buildings and all this stuff. It is dark, dark. And I remember popping that in, watching it, and it affecting me in a way that I had never had a horror film affect me before. I was scared that the cemetery down the street was going to start popping dead bodies out of it and was going to come walking down the street and get me. And uh, from that moment on, I was obsessed with the movie. And I, like I said before, I don't even know how I would be a horror movie fan without this movie. And I think a lot of people will have that same story. It's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's definitely the movie that has affected me most as a horror fan. It's not even my favorite horror film per se, but it's definitely something that that molded me into what I became ultimately. Um, George Romero is seriously probably the most influential filmmaker for me, bar none. And this episode came about because I remember, not to just go on longer and longer monologues here, but I just want to kind of emphasize how how important Night of the Living Dead was for me, not only as a, as a horror fan, but uh, as somebody that actively tries to make media as well. I remember in 1999, John Russo decided he was going to make a special edition of Night of the Living Dead in which... He was going to film new footage, integrate that footage into the original film and repackage it and sell it to the public as the new definitive version of Night of the Living Dead. And I remember thinking, how the hell can he do that without George Romero? I did not know that in 1968, when Night of the Living Dead came out, it had gone under originally a different name, A Night of the Anubis, I believe. And they decided last minute to change the title of the name to The Night of the Living Dead. Now, when they did that, they neglected to put on the title card the copyright information. Now, this was a, a copyright loophole back in 1968 that you had to have it's us uh, copyright law you had to have proper notice of 
your copyright on the work itself. The original title of the movie, that print of the film had it on there. But for some reason, when they redid the title, they neglected to put it on there and they put it out for mass consumption and immediately put the film into public domain. Because of this, everyone and their mother has capitalized on exploiting this film by making remakes, mashups, redubs, and special editions. Now, that is why we are here tonight and why the title of the episode is Night of the Living Dead Exploitation is because I want with my friends Jeremy from the Hunnic Outcast and Scott Davis to get down and really talk about the exploitation of the film Night of the Living Dead. Because from this point, from 1968 on, that movie was ripped out of George Romero's hands. And every last two-bit schlockmeister that wanted to make a buck on what is potentially the most influential horror film, indie horror film of all time, make a buck on that movie. So let's go ahead and let's introduce my panelists and let's get talking about this ridiculous subgenre of horror that is Night of the Living Dead exploitation. Scott, how are you doing tonight? And what is your history with Night of the Living Dead? I got into horror a little later. Like my parents would have never brought home Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and uh, Night of the Living Dead. Although those were two of the films that were not forbidden in my house. Night of the Living Dead was one of the early ones I said, I have to see this movie. I mean, this is a classic. I want to see all the classics. Brought this movie home and I immediately loved it. And uh, of course, the next next week I rented Dawn of the Dead. And that was just a game changer for me because that took everything that was hinted at in this tiny little local movie and like just amplified it but this film you know it was done like a lot of other films were it was made by these people who were in the um industrial films business you know like you know how to shave you know that kind of stuff and they said you know let's really try to make a a great fiction film and they said well try to make a profit by making a horror film and they did this and you can kind of sense that local buzz about it. But there were a million movies like these back then. There was every, you know, atomic movie, every vampire movie. Hell, Manos was one of these movies, you know, it was oh, like yeah. a, a local film with local people, you know, on like a shoestring budget. This one stood out and somehow it got seen by the right people and it kept making the rounds and making the rounds and making the rounds. And one of the reasons it, it, it got seen right away is because it is so, so good. And another way, reason it made the rounds is because they found out they didn't really have to pay too many people <laughs> for it because it was in the public domain. And if you will ask, like, like you can probably find like about five dozen interviews with George Romero where he's kicking and screaming and saying, it's not public domain. It is. Um, <laughs> but, it's a completely a, a copyright law loophole it's where, just, they just botched it it's all they just botched it i mean it's not like they didn't sign up for the copyright they just forgot to put the copyright tag on the new title so it was the old title that got copyrighted and this new title nope it's fine you know whatever you want to do and 
because of that, everybody has been able. It, it, you, you could argue that you know the sequels, notwithstanding, that Russo and Romero have probably not made nearly as much money as everybody else has on this movie. Absolutely, there's no no doubt about it. I mean, to the point where both of them have gone on and attempted to remake this to reclaim the money they lost, which would never happen plus there's no way that most of us would have ever seen night of the living dead without it going into the public domain the way it did arguably now now when you a question to you when you saw this because and it's still this way everybody can put out a version of night of the living dead somehow i saw the vhs version that was put out i want to say by universal Hmm. it was actually put out by like a major company the rental copy that I got. But, you know, of course, Good Times put it out and media put it out and anybody who had two tape decks in the back room put it out, basically. So, I mean, did you see it on, like, a nice version or did you see it as one of these, like, uh, seventh generation recorded on extended play versions when you saw it? Or can't you remember? I can't remember. It was a rental copy, that was for sure. But you're, you're completely right. I mean, it played every single night somewhere on one of the horror hosts shows because they could alongside, like you said, uh, Manos or 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 them, you know, you know, all those typical old public domain flicks. But because of the fact everyone was putting this out, everyone has seen this movie. And it affected everyone in a very profound way, not just because it was so widely available, but it's also a very dark, for its time, extremely graphic, haunting film that that doesn't have a happy ending. It isn't easily predictable. It has compelling characters and a threat that is real. Now, Jeremy... How did the Night of the Living Dead hit you when you were younger, when you first saw it? Back in 87 to 90, somewhere between those three years, my mother picked up this VHS from a mom and pop drugstore. It was called Vincent Price's Creepy Classics. And I didn't know who Vincent Price was at the time. Uh, I was living in New York City. Eventually, I get like this PBS affiliate, WLAW, which would finally show some public domain, and as well as MST3K would show some public domain. But I didn't know what public domain was. And it was this 54-minute tape where Vincent Price was trying to be a horror host, and he was sitting, I guess, in a you know movie theater, reading from cue cards and telling really bad puns and showing clips from public domain movies like Night of the Living Dead and Gorgo and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it came with a trivia card. And the one that I kept rewinding and watching over and over again was Night of the Living Dead because I've never seen a black and white movie this graphic or this disturbing. They showed the clips where Barbara was running from the first ghoul and the zombies coming and one of them taking the bug and eating it off the tree, which is my second favorite zombie in the film. Then, of course, you know, the news people going about how to kill the ghoul and the sheriff going like the dead, they're all messed up. And the trivia card would say, like, how do you kill the ghouls and Night of the Living Dead? Eventually, I went to my video store. I found a copy. And I was elated when I found out they were showing this on WLAW every Saturday night. And I must have 
burned through so many VHSs watching this movie. This was a movie that I would watch literally from like Saturday night into Sunday morning because it would it would appear like eleven o'clock at night until like one o'clock in the morning. No commercials, which is even better. And this was one of those movies where it was unpredictable. One of the things that I appreciate about this movie is that it takes no prisoners and doesn't insult your intelligence. And it, it takes place in the middle of nowhere where there are no phone lines. And yeah, you probably could outrun the zombies, but you're in the country in the middle of nowhere. Where are you really going to go? And then for some reason, when I found out about copyright, there were all these other versions that were starting to appear, like all these colorized versions. They were versions where the zombies were blue or green or yellow or, or the house would be sometimes pink. In fact, there was this great joke at a convention saying for like $10,000, you can have the rainbow version where everybody was a different color. It's a joke because it's a public domain, <laughs> but it was a great joke. <laughs> I've seen so many different, I mean, there's a version called Night of the Living Dead Rescore, where they yes. score, they have the metallic version. I've seen a version called Mad Movies, where they dub out the soundtrack and they make it like a 30-minute comedy. The MSTK non-live and not live versions of this, I've seen a stage production. I have a radio drama. So, And, and the 30th anniversary... I was really disappointed because when I finally found out, when I saw the, the 40th anniversary, which has a documentary, one for the fire, and they discussed the public domain, Russo, they don't go into the 30th anniversary too much, but I was really hoping when I, when I saw the back of this, I was like, okay, maybe we'll finally see like, like one of the most talked about scenes was Ben at the gas station. And I'm thinking, are they going to recreate that? Are they finally going to show that? And I've, I've seen so many, I, I have re, a reanimation where you have film students that have taken frames and have put it in where um, there, there are Barbie figures and sock puppets and, and lunch bags that are reenacting scenes and that, but they never reenact or they, they, you know, with all these art students and this art vanguard, they still don't show the scene that I've always wanted to see them try to do, which is the gas station. And of course, there's the 1990 remake with Tom Savini, and they don't even do that. They just have Ben, again, monologuing about it. Okay, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, yes. Is, is, is <laughs> I'm, biting my, I'm biting my tongue here. <laughs> yeah. Is Jeremy clearly stated there are a lot of versions that have come out in tonight. What we're going to do is we're going to go through some of them and talk through them uh, because for one episode, I don't think I've ever in the history of this podcast worked as hard or watched as many fucking movies for one single show in the last four or five days I have literally watched like 10 different versions of Night of Living Dead along with shorts, animated things. Oh my gosh. It, my brain is Night of Living Dead soup at this point. And um, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's uh, not so good. But uh, let's go ahead. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about all of these bastardized versions 
of Night of the Living Dead. Stay tuned. the fact that the greatest actors on earth are Corey Feldman and Linnea Quigley? Do you realize that Jim Wynorski and Neil Breen are the best directors? Then Junk Food Dinner wants you. Junk Food Dinner is the schlitziest cult movie podcast on the internet. Each week, three schlitzies each pick a movie and then relentlessly argue about them or occasionally lovingly agree upon them. Find us on your app of choice or online at junkfooddinner.com. I'm releasing these files to the public today. This is Paul, and I invite you to my new podcast, Forsaken Film Reviews. The goal of my podcast is to provide consistently rated reviews on past and current films, both independent and studio produced. But I'm going to focus my attention on the genres that I prefer to watch, like horror, science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, and, well, geeky films. So join me for Forsaken Film Reviews on the Astro Radio Z Network.
Thanks for sticking with us. I know you have been chomping at the bit to hear about all of the million and a half different low rent Night of the Living Dead remakes that have been made out there. Because I know every year there's at least three or four of them that pop up and you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Why? 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 That's a big question. It always pops in my brain. Scott, what do you when you see another Night of the Living Dead remake? or mashup or a parody or anything pop up what immediately give give me one sentence what pops in your brain after this show fuck my life <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah it was you know it's uh, before this show i'd probably say, say like up oh, somebody else trying to make a name by cashing in after after preparing for this episode uh and i did not make it as far into some of these as you did derek after this episode fuck my life that's what i would say it's unbelievable it's just astounding to me i think there's and this is just a bit of editorializing on my part i think there's taking things a bit too far as a fan <laughs> sometimes you you could you be a fan and appreciate work and then there's times where it's just straight up exploitation where you're just trying to churn a buck and i think the vast majority of this is yeah i mean that's what you do i mean like for instance well and we'll get into it later i'm sure like one of the things that was out there was like this basically it was like a shot on video remake of it uh, you know and you could get away with that because it's public domain well why would you just do that well if you don't have a budget i don't know what the hell mimesis's excuse is but if you don't have a budget if you only have a few thousand dollars you can say okay we can make a horror film now we could make one of our own design which is really difficult you know and it would take a lot of effort and Maybe it'll play a festival. Maybe we can get internet distribution. Maybe someone will pick us up. Or we can do a homage or another version of Night of the Living Dead, this film classic. And whether it's good or not, people will notice it. Oh, God, just and because of the name. And that's, what we're there, and that's what they're doing. And it's uh, I can't blame them for it. But let's face it, they're basically trying to make a name for themselves quickly as opposed to the people who originally made Night of the Living Dead, which was, hey, let's make a horror film. But they didn't make a horror film like anybody else had made before. And that's how right. they stood out. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's doing they're not doing that. <laughs> no, no, this people. is straight up, straight up exploitation. Now, what had come up before is uh, Jeremy had talked about the colorized version of night of the living dead now night of the living dead has been uh, colorized no less than three times it was done in 1986 1993 and 2004 from what i have gathered um in 1986 when it first was colorized gene siskel and roger ebert addressed the growing fad of colorization which is kind of like the dubbing of film, foreign films as Hollywood's new vandalism. You know how we all sit and complain how people don't want to read watching foreign films? 
People didn't want to watch black and white films. They wanted to watch color films. And most of the black and white films from the old days, obviously there was just no color process. But by time their uh, Night of Living Dead had been made in the late 60s, there definitely were color films. And it was shot in black and white, not out of a stylistic choice, but out of necessity for a budget. And when that decision is made, the film is shot in a very specific way to maximize blacks and whites. And in my mind, when you colorize it, you're kind of destroying the overall aesthetic that the filmmaker had tried to put together within their the limitations that they had. Now, the process of doing colorization or digital colorization is uh, you would get a digitized copy of um, the best monochrome film print available and technicians would take um, this computer software back in the 86, obviously, it was fairly, I would say, quaint compared to what you can do now. But this computer would essentially take each frame of that film and you could tell it areas to follow frame to frame to frame and, and tell it, I want this to be green or I want this to be red or I want this to be a skin tone. And then the program would follow that shape frame to frame to frame until it exited frame or there would be a cut. And uh, they would it was a very time intensive process and it was a very expensive process, but they did it with many of the the films from uh, the golden era of black and white to be shown on television that so supposedly they were more palatable for their audience in black and obviously night of the living dead because it was in public domain they didn't have to pay anyone royalty rights or licensing fees to do this so they did jeremy what are your thoughts on colorized movies in general beyond night of the living dead what do you think i mean when you see a colorized movie do you actually sit and want to watch the entire thing absolutely not i i think ted turner for some reason started this movement and I could be wrong, but I just remember he was kind of sort of behind it at the time. I, I, I would see colorized versions of a lot of public domain films. And I would just say the mood is gone. The style is gone. And, and I'm just going to stick with night of the living dead. Once I, I would channel flip and I see it was colorized. I was like the whole, idea of the black and white i felt not because a budget and they can only afford black and white film and yes back then black and white was less expensive than color but the point of using black and white was also for mood purposes you could do a lot with in and out of the shadows with color i could see the zombies coming in and out and, and it's kind of like spoiled everything and i don't think there was a lot of care even with classic films being colorized, I don't think there was ever any real care. No matter how many times you explain it to me or tell it to me, or, or even when they try to do this with computers, you're taking something out of a, col- of a black and white film and colorizing it. Black and white, I, I, there, there's no other way to say it for me. It, it's all about mood. This was just another excuse to repackage and resell 
a classic film. And that even goes with any non-public domain films. It was just an excuse to repackage it when the movie wasn't doing well or you wanted to give it to a new audience. And I remember people were just like, rabble, rabble, rabble. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So there is a difference, of course, with foreign films. And yeah, you can dub them. But again, I don't really mind watching a movie with subtitles because when you try to dub it, it takes the flavor out of what the actor's really saying and the accents. And Absolutely. Again, I mean... I like the original Gorgita instead of Godzilla 19-whatever because the original Gorgita, I'm listening to Japanese actors. I can take time to read the subtitles, and I think the original dialogue sounds a lot better than whatever they dub it and, and make it sound. Well, so, that's a whole nother story altogether. Well, right, but, <laughs> but, but staying on topic, and staying on topic is that my point being is that I feel that Hollywood tries to tell us one thing, and we're not that stupid, and we can tell it's an excuse to make a quick buck, and you don't care about what made the original so good. It absolutely is just another repackaging of things, and it was a very short-lived phenomena. I mean, it, it, even though I had said there were three versions that span from 86 to 2004, there seriously still isn't a ton of colorized films. Scott, what have you always thought about this? Not anymore, anyway. I mean, there when it first came out, I think the first time I ever saw it, them talk about this, it was either on... I'm dating myself, so I don't want to say that it was on That's Incredible. <laughs> A later episode of That's Incredible. Uh, it might have been on entertainment, an early episode of... The, either a late episode of That's Incredible or an early episode of Entertainment Tonight is when I first heard about this and i thought my first instinct when you're a little kid is wow that's amazing they can do right. that then you started to see them and you started to see them around 84 85 i am still very little at this time like nine ten years old as soon as i started seeing them i'm like you know what this is wrong i don't like it it's completely wrong the people who made this movie never meant this to happen. And Jeremy was correct. Ted Turner really did shepherd this and really did champion this uh, back in the 80s. And this is a problem because not only did, were there all these public domain movies that were up for grabs, the way Ted Turner really got his foothold in something was because he owned a, an enormous film library. Yeah. He owned all the Hal Roach Studios stuff. So you saw all these Laurel and Hardy classics get colorized. He uh, eventually owned the entire MGM library. And then he owned some of the Warner Brothers library. So, yes, at one point, Casablanca was colorized. I have not seen it. I have heard they have given uh, one, one joke from the 80s said that they had given uh, Bogart a purple tie. And I would not doubt it because they were all the, always these really garish colors well that's because in the early days of colorization it was a very small palette that they could use and it was based off of like the gradation of the colors is based off a of grayscale so yeah. it's not it, like a perfect science mm -mm, mm. and you'd see him from um from ted turner and other people got into it like walt disney channel the walt disney company started colorizing 
uh, the absent-minded professor and stuff like that. And it always looked sloppy. It Even back then, even knowing that this was the height of their technology, it always looked sloppy. Someone's face was, well, we're going to give it a flesh tone. Okay, so we're going to give it a flesh tone. That meant that their face had a flesh tone. Their eyes had the flesh tone. Their lips had a flesh tone. Any facial hair had the flesh tone. It looked terrible. You'd have frames uh, that sometimes last something, sometimes one frame, sometimes a couple seconds where they just forgot to colorize it. So it would switch to black to black and white and then back to color. And these things got released. Now, most of these have disappeared to the point where I have not seen this version of Night of the Living Dead since that day. Thank God. They can digitize them now, and it's a little bit more sophisticated. But you know what? You still look at it today. They're still garish. They're still ugly. You just cannot get past. The movie was never meant to look like this. I think Legend Films, who either was or is the parent company of Rift Tracks uh, from some of the former Mystery Science Theater people, uh, they started out doing a lot of colorizations, and that's how they got stuff. They'd release Night of the Living Dead, the colorized, the 2004 colorized version, and they'd give it a Mike Nelson commentary, his name with House on Haunted Hill or something. And they always looked bad. They always looked bad, no matter which way you sliced it, you know? It's it's a way it's a way mm-hmm. to make it a couple extra bucks without having to pay anything to anybody, but it still just sucks. Yeah, if we're just talking about the film itself, Night of Living Dead, it's the same film. It's exactly the same film, um, but between the different colorizations, are they're wildly different because it's all a completely arbitrary aesthetic choice to what colors were going to be what. And if you're going to watch any of these versions, watch the 2004 version because the technology obviously had gotten much more sophisticated. But um, I can only ever handle it for like a half hour. My brain just goes, I don't want to see this. And if you are going to watch that version, listen to it with the Mike Nelson commentary, because then at least you can laugh a little bit. Oh, so. it's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's terrible. Jeremy, what do you think of these versions? Would you recommend anybody watching the colorized versions of these? Absolutely not. I can never get through a colorized version. And they're on YouTube. And I've, I've seen them on TV for a while. And I've seen that MST3K with Mike Nelson did a solo commentary. I've watched it one time. I cannot. It, it pardon the pun. It's horrific. It does look awful. Still, I mean, I, I, it's still awful, no matter which way you do it. Because you know what it is? Yeah. Is that over the years, I thought, and I could be wrong, because I, I thought that people would would take back the the color prints and try to restore them and make them look a little better or clean them up with computers. No, I guess they realized that they shouldn't have done this. So even with any color it, it, it's so what's the word i'm looking for it, it's so bright that mm-hmm. it hurts my eyes watching it because again you said there were three versions that you've seen i've seen other people just upload it onto iMovie or whatever and just add colors to it as a joke but the three versions from 86 and 2004 and what was the other year 93 93. I mean, I, I, I've watched clips and it just, they're so bright at times that it just hurts my eyes that I can't, cont- it gives me a headache. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't recommend it. Yeah. 
So let's go ahead and move on to we're going to try and keep a timeline a little bit about when some of these came out. Let's move on to the Romero produced remake that Tom Savini directed. Now, this was remade entirely to get some profits out of the fact that he got soaked <laughs> because <of laughs> this copyright infringement uh, deal, and he wanted to recoup some of that. So he got Tom Savini, who, of course, this was in the 90s, so it was kind of past his prime years of the 80s where he's doing all those amazing gore effects, but he still had amazing zombie effects. And he was just, it was a very stylish remake with uh, actors of the era. You had Bill Mosley um, as Johnny in this. You had uh, Tony Todd as Ben. Tom Tolles is in this flick. There's just a number of actors that exploitation and genre film fans will salivate over. Now, this film is in color. It's of its time where it's very gory and some of the motivations of the characters are much different. Barbara is a, is not a a sniveling mess of a woman in this film, very strong, headstrong, gutsy woman in this flick. And it's, it's refreshing. I've always really liked this movie. I think if there is going to be a version of Night of the Living Dead other than Night of the Living Dead that you're going you should see, it's this one. I've always liked it. Is it perfect? No. I think there that it's it's kind of dating itself more and more every single year. Uh Scott, what do you what what were your thoughts when this came out? And uh, d- is this a flick you like? I like this movie a lot. Um, when it came out, I was like, oh, they remade it. Oh, wait, he remade it. Oh, well, that's okay. You know, <laughs> it's amazing how quickly we forgive, you know, we find out who's behind a movie. <laughs> right. And it's so like my outrage lasted for like all of two seconds. Like, what? The canon people re- Oh, wait, no, it's George Romero. Okay, it's okay. Um, <laughs> 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 Which is what happened. You know, Menachem Golan had started 21st Century Film Corporation after he like basically, you know, said uh f you to yoram globus his uh, former partner he that guy continued on with canon with golan did 21st century didn't work out for either but anyway he, he did this movie and they could do it easily and they'd say like yeah george you can come in and do this produce this remake and menachem golan was probably like oh how am i gonna afford the rights wait i don't have to actually pay you for the rights bonus you know <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> You know he was just smiling. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? God bless that schlocky Israeli producer. My God. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, but yeah, you mean you're absolutely right. You know, not only was this, you know, we talk about Tom Savini. Well, this wasn't just like him doing the effects. He directed this movie. Yes. Uh, And he hasn't done that nearly enough, if you ask me, because I thought he did a damn good job. And it got, you know, predictably horror films have always gotten really shitty reviews but even today they get better reviews than they were like 20 30 years ago the horror film came out and it got even like a two and a half star review you'd be like whoa someone's feeling generous yeah this film got trashed when it came out 
uh, how dare they even try to copy this classic, which, you know, most people just dismissed as schlock when that came out. Yeah. Tony Todd is great. You mentioned Tom Tolles. I will say that Tom Tolles, I love as an actor. I'll say that his Harry Cooper is probably the weak point of the movie. Mm-hmm, I agree. Because he is played for laughs sometimes. And um, much has been made about the political commentary of the original Night of the Living Dead. They said, you know, it's, you know, when you see the American flag at the beginning, that wasn't, we weren't trying to make a statement. When we cast Dwayne Jones as the lead, we weren't trying to make a statement. Maybe they weren't trying to make a statement, but they did. Yeah. You know, they did make a statement, especially with that grim and shit ending. And, um, some of that is lost when you translate it from 1968 to 1990. So it doesn't, it's not quite as effective. The zombie effects are great though. Patricia Tallman is great as Barbara. The ending is slightly different. And I really like the ending of this movie a lot. I think it's really clever. Bill Butler is in there as Tommy. And I like Bill Butler a lot, both as an actor, as a director, he's, he, you know, you've see, if you ever look, you've seen him. In, you've seen his work in a million movies, in front of and behind the screen, and he doesn't get the props that he should. I love that guy. I love a lot about this movie, including the poster. It no, it's not never going to be even as close to that lightning in a bottle that Night of the Living Dead was. You know, because so much was perfect about it. And one of the things that was perfect was that it was black and white. It was that it cost 25 cents. It was that it was that it happened to be released at the most, you know, politically time of biggest political upheaval at that point, you know, in, in American history. So, you know, it's. So some things aren't going to translate, but as a good, solid horror film. Yeah, I like the 1990 version quite a bit. Of its time, because the 90s are a barren wasteland oh, when it comes God, to yeah. horror films. Um, it it really was, at that time, one of my favorite movies. I loved it a lot that you're right. The poster is so awesome. I've always and- loved that poster. It the, the thing I think is it's Achilles heel, and a lot of people would probably disagree with me, but a lot of what makes the original Night of the Living Dead is that stock score that it has. I love the score of the original Night of the Living Dead, even though it's all mostly, you know, um, library stock music that he had put together. But there was there's something gritty and weird about that music when it's put over the top of some of those scenes that it just so firmly ingrained in my, my brain that when I hear, see a night of the living dead and I don't hear that music um, or I see somebody rescore it or anything, it, it is missing something. There is something gone from that movie that I felt was really an integral part to that. So if anything, I think the score is kind of blah in the remake. Um, but otherwise I really dig this one, Jeremy. You know, we talk about the score, and what I love about the original is that not only do we have that Don score, I, I can't do it, but you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I own the soundtrack. I download it off of iTunes. But what I love about it is also the pacing is better in the original because 
we see the car just slowly driving from the road and making that turn and going into the cemetery. And horror changed from 1968 to 1990. And things got, dare I say, weird. We had slashers. We had haramides. And in 1990, everything seemed to have to go to the extreme. And I feel that when Night of the Living Dead 1990 opens, because I couldn't wait to see it. In fact, in my neck of the woods, if you dressed up as a zombie opening night, you got to go in for free. And it was awesome because I'm like, I wish they did that shit now. Holy shit. (laughs) I'd be dressing up to every fucking movie there was. Not only does it open like, bam, like, like during the opening credits, Johnny's already saying the line, they're coming to get you, Barbara, right where they're in the car. It's like, it doesn't give you a chance to breathe. It's like, boom. And they're playing like this early grunge guitar, like annoying music with, with the car. Like, nah, nah. And it's like, it's screeching and there's screaming and there's yelling. And the only difference, I'm not going to take away from Tom Safini because he worked with George Romero on Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, The Creep Show, and Monkey Shines. And I understand that if George Romero, for some reason, he didn't want to direct the remake, he figured, well, if Tom Zavini's doing all these great makeup effects, I'll give it to Zavini. And, okay, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out, make up one thing, directing, who knows, but the problem I have with the 1990 version is not only the score and everything happens so quickly, but it, it, it's almost fan fiction. It, it, it kind of answers questions that you didn't want. Like when Johnny was attacked by the zombie in the original, people thought, okay, maybe he was knocked out cold. And then a zombie came by and finished him off later. Or maybe like he picked himself up and he's trying to go for help in a zombie. No, this we already, we see that Johnny gets murdered literally like like i said smashes up against that tombstone and barbara she's actually a stunt woman who's friends with savini so she doesn't help anything she just screams her head off and as for harry cooper i think it's because there's this whole thing in horror films nowadays and i think the start of the 80s up until now you would get the most obnoxious character ever and it was all about well, he's so obnoxious, but don't worry. His death is going to have a payoff. The problem is, is that I can't wait for Harry to get killed off in this movie fast enough. And in the original, I don't know much about the Coopers other than there seem to have some sort of strife. And, and I guess they're coming from a wedding or whatever. Same thing with this one. But Harry, you want him killed off quicker. And I think that's a mistake because all you're really trying to do now is either answer questions that nobody really had an answer for or you ruin everything or you're going to change one or two different outcomes. Okay, the women are going to be stronger and Barbara's going to go from wearing high heels and a skirt to being Rambo. But the problem is is her fa- – everything with her is her either screaming – or being intense, or crying, or just doing what they should have done in the original, which either stay upstairs, go to the basement, or just walk out the door. And that's what she ends up doing. And they 
they have an opportunity to kind of retell one of my favorite moments where that zombie took a bug, ate it off the tree. Here, they have a zombie who picks up a mouse and plays with it and puts it in his mouth and eats it. But the problem is it's not the same because it's all about the zombies are losing their dignity. They're losing their, their social skills. They're just, they're trying to adapt to a new world here. It's just because George wants, you know, he had lightning in the bottle and he wants to keep going, like Scott said. And unfortunately it's bam, 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 bam. I don't care about any of the people in this remake. I, I, I don't, other than me finally getting the Blu-ray because the Blu-ray was so hard to find that they had to re-release it last year. And I finally got it because I had the audio commentary. Savini is a great storyteller, but I think at the end of the day, he has to admit that working with George over the years is one thing, but trying to direct what George did back then is something totally different. And you can't, the pacing was the best part. And, and again, that's what I love about the black and white is that we saw the zombies coming out of the dark. We didn't know how many there were. They were just like coming out of nowhere. And that's what I loved about it here. I think about 15 minutes of this film is shot in the day. And then like maybe the last 30 minutes, it finally becomes night. And there are no surprises when these things are coming about and, and breaking in to the house. So no, I, I, I'm not a fan of this version. Mm, that's very interesting. I, I really don't see the problems that you see, Scott. I just wanted to really quickly ask Jeremy, I'd heard the Tom Savini, unless he did a whole new one. I'd heard the Tom Savini commentary. Cause I had, I bought the DVD a long time ago of this version. Uh, I wanted to ask about that Blu-ray. Did you have the re-release or did you have the original one? Because there was a re there was a release from Twilight Time of this version on mm -hmm. Blu-ray, and it's known as one of the worst Blu-rays on the market because there was a color correction on it that no, was really bad. No, what I what I got was I, I didn't even know that this was on Blu-ray, but I, I didn't want to get it. And then I found out, well, Tom Savini's doing commentary, and I'm like, I love Savini. I like to hear what he has to say. And that original Blu-ray was out of print and it was going from like 60 to $100. And I was like, okay, I'll find it on eBay. And it was still, it was ridiculous. And I said, you know what? I got my principles. I got the re-release that came out last year. Okay. And, and as far as I know, as for the color and everything, I don't know. People haven't really said anything about it on Amazon, but I have heard with this new Blu-ray that they added a couple of new things. You know, they, they have Barber's interview and they have Savini again saying, like looking at the camera in the same like, why did we do the remake because of the copyright? And again, I understand, but the, the biggest problem with this movie, I feel is that it's the pacing and if, if only they would have waited for that 30th anniversary, they could have had a little more time and did a little more. But I don't understand why they have to change one or two. Because this this time around, it's like Ben, he's mortally wounded. He's going to come back. Now, again, I love the commercial th that they would show for the – not commercials. They only showed one as far as I knew for this movie, and I loved it. 
And I love that poster, even though there were there are two posters out there, and one of them shows Ben as a zombie, and one of them does not. I don't know if you have either or, if you found either or, but that's a rarity. But past all that, no, I I'd shoot this one in the head. <laughs> oh God, I could not disagree with you more. I think Tony Todd as Ben is so good <laughs> in this movie. I love him, and I think if you're going to get any remake that's even remotely close to the original, this is the one. Yeah. So I I'm I'm gonna agree to disagree on this one. Um, is it perfect? No. But let's go ahead and move on and let's talk about the 30th anniversary edition of Night of the Living Dead, in which John Russo and Bill Hinsman got a bunch of footage that they had shot as bookends to tell the story of that first zombie we see in uh, Night of the Living Dead, how he came to be, and then some crap-ass shit fucking bullshit abomination <laughs> garbage about some priest who gets bit and miraculously nothing happens to him. Um, this movie, when I remember getting And now it, we're going to find out what he thinks of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, I remember getting this. This was at the time right after uh, Lucas had put out the special edition of the Star Wars movies. So I'm sure Hinsman and Russo the light bulb hit them hard. I'm sure. Oh, said, Holy we shit. Pod racing. That's what we needed. Night of the needed pod racing and job of the hut. <laughs> oh my fucking God. And that's what this movie feels like. The footage they shot does. It does not look right. It does not feel right. The score is cheap and, and monotone. Um, the actors that they got, I mean, Hinsman's back and he looks about uh, 50 pounds heavier and 100 years older um, than he did back in the day. And he's still playing the same zombie. There's a surprising cameo from Debbie Rashan as a as a reporter in it. And I feel sorry for her because every time they cut away from the original Night of the Living Dead to these insert shots, because there's more zombie footage and it's always the same zombies. So you know exactly when it's not the original film. It takes you out of the movie and it feels cheap. I have always fucking hated this version of this movie just because I felt swindled <laughs> when I bought this thing. I got rid of it li like literally a month later. Well, the transitions, I, I think I think what we have to go back on the transitions have nothing to do with the original. And that's the problem, because the way that this opens is that for some reason. And again, I don't know why we had to get an origin about the Bill Hinsman zombie. We didn't ask for it. There was no reason for it. It was fan fiction. The whole point was it's kind of like Rhodes and Day of the Dead. People think that he was in Dawn and he went from Pittsburgh to Florida. Is that accurate? We don't know, but it's fan fiction and just keeps us guessing because that's what, dare I say, keeps it alive. This problem, again, when I saw the back of it, I see new footage. Yeah, there is new footage, but it's pretty much either that priest with the goatee because, you know, all priests have goatees. <laughs> and, and, 
the reporter, I thought that they, they, she came off of the back of a porn film. Well, that's Debbie Rashawn. Yeah. And the, the whole thing with, with this priest for whatever reason is he is using his Bible because he's calling to God and the zombie bites him on the cheek. And then they put silly putty on his cheek and they give him a dog because they think that if he zombies out, he'll attack the dog first, which again, makes zero sense. And, and the other scenes, as I recall, because I've only seen it once, and I think it's on YouTube and, and they actually have an edit where you can just watch the scenes. You don't have to watch, you know, but, but they also have an edit that's called quote unquote, the two hour TV version <laughs> but he placed like this freaking uh, stock footage mashup, like intro explaining the Venus probe oh and then God. goes into, and then goes into um, the, this Hinsman backstory. Um, so there's like, there's, there's two versions of this on YouTube. You can watch. That's, that's what I understand though, is that my, my point being is that even for John Russo, I understand it's public domain, and I know that Russo ended up writing a book, Return of the Living Dead, and that eventually became that, you know, the Haramity in 85. But Russo, I, I don't understand why he didn't figure out that if he uses a modern camera and tries <laughs> to splice in the transition with the movie, and what's worse is they changed the scores we talked about, and the scenes take so much out of like after the Hinsman zombie gets up and is walking around. I understand that's when Johnny and Barbara are there, but it still takes out the drive to the cemetery, which is what I enjoy. And as for the other scenes, besides the bookends with the priest and the priest getting bitten, I don't know what others, what what they have. They just have zombies walking around the, um, what is it? They, they just walk around the area. I don't remember what, what other initial scenes. I was more pissed off that this was a chance, again, and I said this millions of, if you're going to do something new and different, put in that much-talked-about monologue where Ben is at the gas station. You could do it now or something, anything. They don't do any of that. They just continuously take this, put it in a copier, hit 1,000 copies, and now you're getting the shittiest copy known to man. That's what this is. Well, not to jump too far ahead, but the scene you are requesting is in a different Night of the Living Dead remake called Resurrection that we will talk about later. <laughs> I did not do Resurrection. I, I turned it off after like 20 minutes. <laughs> so, but I think the main thing that this version ruins is the ending it strips all of the power away from the ending scott what do you think of this version john russo you know even you know very shortly after i saw uh, night of the living dead uh, i used to because i was supposed to be a filmmaker uh originally that was the original plan and somewhere along the way i kind of decided nah maybe not and um i had a bunch of books about movies and one of them was called making movies and it was written by a certain someone named john russo who i didn't (laughs) realize was connected to night of the living dead until i read the book uh, because as far as I knew, like one person did Night of the Living Dead, George Rivera. What? There was more? 
You know, <laughs> I didn't know. I was too young. And he goes through a lot of the movies that he had made up to that point that he had directed, uh, Midnight and The Majorettes. And then he interviews people like Toby Hooper and stuff like that, who basically bitched about canon the whole time. Um, and so here's my thing about John Russo. He and George Romero have always had different ideas of what Night of the Living Dead was. Both of them are credited on the screenplay, but they had different ideas over what it was. George Romero envisioned it as this as the first in in apocalyptic event. John Russo envisioned it as an isolated event that had the threat of recurring later, which he has exploited that idea in his own yeah. versions of the of the uh, film uh, Return of the Living Dead, as uh, Jeremy had mentioned. John Russo wrote the book. He was supposed to be more involved in the movie, and it was supposed to be dead serious. It was basically the same thing as Return of the Living Dead, the movie, but dead serious. Um which, of course, it didn't happen, thank God, because if it was dead serious, we'd be laughing about it now instead of laughing with it. Um, and, you know, he's gone on and done a, a different things. He had comic book series that uh, referenced this and everything like that. And this was another one of those. When I had heard that he was going to do this, I had mixed feelings because it's hard to hate the guy, you know, because he was responsible for so many good things. And when you hear him talk about how to make films and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, he really seemed to have his head on the finger on the trigger. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And yeah, that sounds really good. But then you actually, and he wrote some novels that were really good. Mid, like for instance, Midnight, the novel is really good. As a film director, he's not that strong. I'm saying that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> because, <laughs> because not that strong is a real understatement. It's a very thick understatement. Um, and he has been very misguided in his... Holy shit, am I ever sucking his dick? He's bad! Okay, he's bad! <laughs> I, I like him as a person, but he's bad at this. And he did this added these sequences in and when i first heard about it i was kind of interested in seeing what they could do like hey if they can add to the like the breadth of the story or whatever when i watched it it's the worst it's the worst the acting is just atrocious the film stock doesn't match the music they screwed up as jeremy mentioned um the just the idea of the story you know we're finding out about the bill heinzman's i mean who gives a fuck Nobody <laughs> Who cares. Nobody you don't care. The whole, in fact, part of what made that so a portion so amazing was that, you know, Johnny's in the graveyard joking and like pointing at this guy who's shambling forward. And you don't know that there's anything wrong at first until he like gets his hands on Barbara. What was great about the ending for the original was that eerie score that they would sometimes play on episodes of Ren and Stimpy. But they even took that out. Yeah, and then there's a worse version, which I'm sure Derek will talk about later, which uh, completely replaces that with something even worse. But uh, the um, – yeah, this version is just terrible. I mean it, it, it takes all of the bite out. It is I, – honestly, I'm going to say it just right off the bat. As far as cash-ins, just shameless cash-ins that I've seen, it's the worst. It's the, the, the most shameless. Absolutely. It's the most shoddy. It takes the least amount of originality. 
Devi Rashan, God bless her. I love her. She mm-hmm. was really involved with John Russo at this time, doing lots of stuff. I have an autographed copy of the Slice Girls CD that she cut with several, <laughs> with several other Scream Queens. I have an autographed copy of that, and I think John Russo was behind that as well. I'm not sure if he was behind the, the uh, book that she did as well around that time, but probably he was involved with santa claus that she was in oh santa claus you know what and the funny thing is is that santa claus i've never seen you know i shouldn't say this because i haven't actually seen midnight or the majorettes all the way through but uh that might be the best russo directed film I've seen. Ugh, that, that is saying something it's funny it is you know it's not good the, well he would it's it's funny you you made reference uh the story of the the routes that this series took um we could go on for hours about the sidestepping that this series took and its creators and the side series they make i think we could we could easily do a dawn of the dead exploitation episode as well but you can you could do an entire uh you could you could do do a whole new show episode by episode by episode about all this stuff there's been so many Oh, absolutely. Well, Russo did the Return of the Living Dead series. Then this 30th anniversary has its own sequel. Children of the Living Dead, I think, right? Children of the Living Dead. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of it. Um, I I don't know if it was dubbed poorly or not, but uh, yeah, it it found its way on YouTube and um, Savini... Is he dubbed? I can't tell his mouth. There. I don't know. He's in it for a hot minute. And uh, in, I remember for as long as that movie's been out, it has been in the top or the bottom five worst movies I've ever seen list. <laughs> it is so fucking bad. And then in just an offshoot comment before we move on to the next movie, Hinsman would move on to make his own sidestepping movie revenge of the living zombies aka flesh eater in which he plays the zombie yet again in a different one so it's just the depths that the creators would go (laughs) to try and make a buck off of this was it, it just unfathomable how much they exploited their own product now let's move on to the people that had absolutely zilch to do (laughs) with the series and some of the other remakes that have come out. First thing we'll do, we kind of talked about uh, the mashup reanimated, which Jeremy had made reference to before, which is kind of like, I I remember when this came out uh, briefly before there was a, a viral video that had came out where fans had worked together to make a new version of a new hope star Wars, a new hope by each taking small little bits of that film and animating them in their own style and putting them together with the original soundtrack underneath. Now that version, I believe they didn't do what this one did where they used the entire original score and original soundtrack underneath it. Um, They actually used their own and it made this really quirky, charming, um, chaotic punk rock kind of thing and made you rethink what Star Wars was and what fans thought it was. 
Night of the Living Dead Reanimated was billed to be the same type of thing, only it's not even animated half of the time. No. It's mostly Wait, what? It's, it's mostly st- it's stills. It is keyframed stills. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah, half of it is badly drawn keyframed stills, and That's then the at, at points there's there's some really cute stop motion or or claymation or animation in some interesting things, but it's blips, little blips. And it's so infuriating to watch that I, I challenge anyone to literally sit and watch that movie from beginning to end. And if you do, Holy shit, you, you deserve a medal. You know what? I do deserve a medal because I've watched it beginning (laughs) to end five times. What? Why? Okay, why? Well, as luck and coincidence have it, and thankfully it does, there are audio commentary tracks. And the audio commentary tracks are from the artists and from fans who have watched the movie and from filmmakers who are influenced by Night of the Living Dead. But reanimated, here, here's the problem. Again, is it's not just every scene, it's every frame. And what you're getting is are different shots of when the car comes to the cemetery and you're getting storyboards or you're getting avant-garde. I mean, sometimes there are stick figures. Once in a while, like I said, when, when the Heisman zombie attacks Barbara, it's paper bags. I don't know if you remember the Fandango paper bags. that would talk, that, That's pretty much what it was. And sometimes you get stop motion, as I said before, with the Barbie dolls where you get Play-Doh, or you get Gumby. But most of the time, there was even a more bizarre one where they kind of did a itchy and scratchy moment where the humans were mice and the zombies were cats. But all in all, it's pretty much a lot of storyboards. And what kills me the most, again, is that, no, they don't do an art version of Ben's monologue. But when Barbara is talking and giving her monologue about Johnny, we see the still frame of Ben just sitting around, you know, taking his finger, going around his ear, thinking that this woman is nuts. Past all of it, I would only recommend it for the commentaries because they're interesting to listen to. And I keep it on the background just to listen to them, especially the famous, you know, who was right, who was wrong. Um, Ben for being up, stairs or harry for you know they should have stayed in the cellar i like that because it gives me something new and different but past all that and if you're lucky i don't think they have it on this version it, it, it's one half dozen of the other if you could once you know whatever if you could find it but they have a parody that's not part of reanimated um and and by that i mean it, it's on the dvd it's a supplement it's with the audio commentary you know when you go through the special features it's called Night of the Living Bread. Oh, yeah. That's on the Millennium Edition as well. Yeah. Night of the Living Bread, They what they do is they have loaves of bread that start attacking people. And that's funny. But past all of it, Reanimated is only good for one thing and one thing only. Listening to the fans and the artists and past all of it, it was – an interesting experiment, but it's between this and Waking Life or um, 
I think Scanner Darkly, where they, you know, kind of paint over the actors while they're talking and make it look like a dream sequence. Right. It, it it will never work. And I think if they would have just worked on like taking scenes and animating the scenes and not just showing storyboards and paintings. But there's even a moment where they take um, oh, that, that famous 80s rock video. Um, take on me. Take on yes. me. Yeah. Take on I'll, me. I'll take say me. if you don't stop. <laughs> uh, take on me actually do that for a minute. And they, they do it for less than a minute. And it, that animation, but passed off it again. No, you could also, it's another one for the fire. Yeah. You could, have you seen this, Scott? You know, when you know, when you and I was joking around there earlier there, sorry. Uh, but uh, the um, yeah, this movie, uh, I wanted to get to it. Here's the thing. Uh, leading up to this show, Derek, I had said like, gee, I don't know if I'm going to have time to watch all these. Uh, but that's the nice way of saying it. The other way to say it was like, I don't know if I want to keep on watching all these. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> which I is really what don't. happened. Which is what happened with this. By the time it came to watch reanimated, I'm like, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I think the the major downfall of reanimated is that I think it was a a little too ambitious for its creators, and it felt more like they didn't have enough from their artists, and half of the art was so rudimentary and so rough that it it's tough to watch some of it's really cool but just because it, the editorial on it is so awful i i would never watch it again I, I i feel bad for the the people that were involved that really put their time and energy into it because there were some really great moments but on a whole it's it's really 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 tough to sit and watch now on another note another mashup <laughs> which was given to me today i had never seen this but it's oh, from I'm... 1991 it was uh, my bud dave sent me night of the day of the dawn of the sun of the bride of the return of the revenge of the terror yeah. of the attack of the evil mutant alien flesh eating hellbound crawling zombified living dead part two and shocking 2d can you believe I actually spit that out? And l last week, I couldn't even read my own copy for the Puppet Master series. But I was able to sit and say that entire fucking thing. Why are we hearing about this now? What is this? Okay. So <laughs> I knew Scott would find that really funny. <laughs> it, it is quite shocking. I admit, I just, that just popped in my head as I read that. Um, what this is, is like Troma's ferocious female freedom fighters, this is a complete comedy redub of the film intercut with nonsensical historical president facts, female dancing, a musical interlude and clowns laughing. The film is crass. It's funny. It's completely of its time, mostly because it comes complete with really cringeworthy, homophobic and racial slurs as jokes. Um, but it is uh, the kind of movie that you would find on public access from dudes that just didn't care. And we're going to create mashups in 91. It's uh, it was directed by James Riffle. He's made a series of these films 
all parroting different kinds of public domain films uh, through the years. But he redubbed all of the vocals, made a new score. And most of the jokes, most of the story is about people needing to take a crap. (laughs) And then all of the zombies are um, convenience store workers that are out to get new customers. And uh, (laughs) it's at points, it's tedious. It's cringeworthy because some of the, you know, now completely on PC and unnecessary jokes that are in it, but that are of that time and that we're allowed to slide. But there are sections in this film that I was breathless. I was laughing so hard. It's an hour and 39 minutes. If you're a fan of this, that are so fun. If you like really stupid, crass humor, it's on YouTube. There's multiple versions. I would look for the hour and 39 minute version. If you go to Astro Radio Z's YouTube page, I have a playlist called Night of the Living Dead Exploitation, in which every single version that I found on YouTube is there. You can Uh check it out there. Now, neither of you two guys have seen this before. I never even heard of this thing before. I mean, I have seen so many different spinoffs. And yeah, dare I say, there actually are spinoffs of Night of the Living Dead if, if you go with Genesis and um, there's another one. But uh, parodies, well, yeah, Night of the Living Bread, definitely. But I've never heard of this Night of the... I did hear once upon a time, though, that Night of the Living Dead was supposed to be a comedy. And it was supposed to be about aliens. But I never knew about this night of the living of the terror of the return of the dawn of the no no this this is brand spanking no oh you need to check this one out scott you know it sounds more amusing than watching the rescored version like i did so <laughs> uh, let's be honest the rescored version while it has good music it's totally unnecessary fuck that movie I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but fuck that. Nah, we don't need to. Let's just say it's terrible. It's, you know, it's synth wave that there's a, okay, really quick audience. There's a, there's a rescored version because you can add your own copyright free music to this because it's a copyright free movie. They added a synth wave soundtrack. People want to call it vapor wave. I'm calling it synth wave because I just got used to saying that. I'm not going to change now. Synth wave music on its own might be cool. Added to the movie, it kills it. The score Sorry. is so iconic that it, it's seriously, I can't, I couldn't even, I started watching that and I stopped because it's just like, no, you just stripped its identity away from it. I so. don't, but then again, it's public domain. So they've done so much of this movie that I don't even understand why they continue with the rescore, but I did watch it and I did fast forward through it. And I think what kills me is that there are two of my favorite scores, the beginning when they're driving to the cemetery and the end when they're showing those grainy still frames. And I I told you, I love that score. They played it right in Stimpy. They've played it um, in a couple of the horror films. You take away that score and you replace it with heavy metal or grunge like they've done a 1990s version of Night of the Living Dead and rescored the 30th anniversary. It's shit. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's take a a short little break here, folks. And I'm going to play you a little clip from Night of the Day of the Dawn of the... You know, I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to test my luck twice on that one. Um, 
members of Astro Radio Z know how how hard it is for me to read copy. Um, so we're going to take a short break. I'm going to play a little clip of this. And when we come back, we're going to move away from films that actually use the source footage and remix it to completely new versions of the movie. So stick around. In 1967, George Romero, using non-professional actors and actresses and a crew made up of friends and relatives, made what has become the most famous horror film of all time, Night of the Living Dead. Recently, filmmaker Lowell Mason, while reviewing Night of the Living Dead, noticed some severe flaws in the structure of the script. He obtained a copy of the film, wiped out the entire soundtrack, and replaced it with his own dialogue and music. The results follow. Oh shit. Hi mate, don't forget mate. Everybody freeze! Chill out, black dude! Don't know. You got tunes! I'd love to hear a little jazz right now. I heard two people discussing before on a... Man, you guys an hour late, man. Why didn't you bring back any food or beer? We had a pizza. We ate it all. You had a pizza and you didn't save me any? Who are you to tell me about my eating habits, huh? You might want to go get one yourself. You guys were already out there, man. You could have ordered large extra cheese to go. No big deal. There's zombie crawling all over the place, man. When do you guys go? My car's been bumming lately, dude. I think it's a trans. I'm just going to stay here and uh, fiddle with the radio. Bring me back a cannoli and a large Coke, uh, all right? You can shove that cannoli up your ass. They're bombing from the trans next Some week, dude. and just tried to eat my legs. So don't give me any of your horse shit, all right? Listen up, shithead. One of you guys is going out for a large extra cheese piping hot with a couple of Cokes. And actually, I think it should be your white ass that makes the trip, motherfucker. And you're a fool, because I know a place that gives two free Cokes when you order a large pie with extra cheese. I know that place. That's that dude Vito down on 8th. Yeah, Jules does the same thing. I know a guy down there gives me freaking always all the time. Freaking always? Then why don't you go? He's overworked. He's a zombie. Okay, fine. You want me to go? I'll go. But I'm not paying and I'm getting mushrooms and anchovies over the whole damn pie. The whole damn thing. Just a sea of mushrooms and anchovies. That's a good deal, ain't it, dude? Just pick the anchovies off. Tastes will still be there, man. I'm just gonna check the fridge. You know he's gnarly on anchovies, dude. How about skipping him? Don't kiss up to that scumbag. If I wasn't so nice, I'd take his bald ass right now and beat it. You know, you're a real tough guy impressing your friend. But let's just see how tough you are. I bet a pie you can't run to the well on the side of the house, tag it, and run back without getting eaten by a few of those zombies. Hey, you're just a pig. If I had a pizza, I'd at least save this last for a friend, or at least brought back a cannoli. Cannoli? You want a cannoli? I'll give you a cannoli right across your beezer. Man, I should just kick your anchovy ass. All right, wise guy, I'm going. But I'm going to the all-night food store down the road, and I'm getting a deli platter with 20 different cold cuts. And if you don't like it, you can kiss my white ass. Oh, boy. Stiff, dried-out cold cuts. My mouth's watering already. Okay, look. We'll send the kid for Chinese food. He'll be back in 20 minutes. We'll order one poo-poo platter. It'll feed all our ugly mugs. If anybody gets jumped on by zombies, it'll be his goofy ass. You and I, you and I will just hang here where it's safe. Hey, I used to work with that guy. What do you mean, goofy ass, you gnarly-looking bonsai burger? I'd have kicked your butthole right now. And besides, Chinese food gives me the trots. I'll kick your butthole, you weezer.
coming to get you, Barbara. Thanks for sticking around to what may be the roughest portion of this episode, which I know is quite unfathomable until this point because we haven't (laughs) been too kind. But um, I wanted to start this out with actually one of my favorite remakes that doesn't use the original source film inside of it. And that is a 2000, I believe it was made in 2015, a CGI animated remake called Darkest Dawn. Now, what Night of the Living Dead Darkest Dawn is, it's a completely new retelling of the Night of the Living Dead. Most of the core beats of the film are there, but it takes place in an urban area in like a major metropolitan city in an apartment complex. And the way that it uses this, the setting and um, the story, I thought was the only way you could really take the fear and the um, urgency of the original film and replace it, put it into a new locale and not completely retread the original film. Now, mind you, while I say, you know, very good things about this, I mean, Tony Todd is back as a voice actor for Ben in this again. Um, There is a major caveat to this film, which may completely take you out of it. The CGI is PS2 level. And I mean, we're talking like cut scene from PlayStation 2 level animation. It is not good. You're being too kind. If you can get past that, I thought this was a wonderful retelling of the of the original Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Jeremy? Again, um, I found out about Darkest Dawn about a year and a half ago. And actually, I heard about this in 2012. And that Romero was working on some CGI. It was supposed to be called Origins. And we were supposed to see what the zombie outbreak was supposed to be before Barbara and Johnny were going to the cemetery. And that, I guess, never happened. And there was supposed to be this motion capture and it was going to be with Tony Todd and, and you know, Bill Molesby was going to be coming back as Johnny. And I figured, you know what, I like Tony Todd and I didn't think he was horrible as Ben. I'm just saying that, you know, everything went so quickly with 1990 and, you know, you want to bring Tony Todd back, bring Tony Todd back. I have nothing against the guy. But when I'm watching Darkest Dawn for 15 minutes, you say it's PlayStation 2 animation. I'm thinking it's Nintendo 64, where... (laughs) Jeez, it's not that bad. (laughs) And it, it, it feels like Nintendo 64, Castlevania 64, bad. I can't get past it. I've tried to watch it. I couldn't believe that it came out. And I searched all over the internet to see when this was, because I, I heard that it was finally made and I got a credit off of iTunes and I downloaded the copy as quickly as possible because I figured that they were going to pull it off because they don't have it on Amazon. They don't have it anywhere else, just on iTunes. And I'm like, wow. And then they, they did put it on YouTube, but for some reason the actors' voices are sped up and they sound like Alvin the Chipmunks. Well, that's to get get past the copyright flags on YouTube. There's also like a a vignette bloom in the middle, and that's how pirates get past the the copyright 
you know, protection that YouTube has. Yeah, yeah and, uh, which is horseshit. Yeah, so if you can get past that, but I downloaded it off of iTunes legally with, with my credits that I had gotten, and I watched again 15 minutes. And the problem I have with it is that it's besides the animation. What is it really telling me that I already don't know? It feels like, again, it's Barbara and Johnny and Ben and the Coopers and who's going to get out alive and who isn't at this point and we're them and they're us and that's another one for the fire. And I, I watch this over and over and over again. I'm like, you're not giving me anything new and different and the social commentary. It's just, it's the same story and i just i got to a point where i gave a damn about the characters in the 68 version and i know we're not reviewing them one day hopefully we will or i will but in the meantime i don't care about anyone past that 68 version and it's just Barbara with a new look, and that's pretty much all that it is. That's unfortunate. I I really thought that they changed enough up in this one. There are characters that are missing. There are new characters that are introduced. They took the conventions of the original story and turned them on their head enough for me that I really quite enjoyed what what went down and how it played out. Yeah, was it still hitting it? Um, by the beats for the most part yes but I I gotta say man it's a really huge leap to take to get past the CGI but once you do I I gotta say of any of these films this was probably my favorite one that we're gonna talk about Um, Scott did you end up checking this out at all no and uh, I heard you referencing this last night and I didn't get to it in time so I this one, I'm actually sorry I didn't get. Now, the CGI, uh, I know Jeremy's opinion of it. What's I, I'm picturing in my head somewhere in between Tomb Raider and the Dire Straits Money for Nothing music video. What is, what, what <laughs> it's wanna, not that bad, no. Not, that, not quite no, that bad? No, it is not that bad. I would liken it to the, the cutscene stuff from the original Silent Hill. It's it's going to be a tough a tough wall to climb to get and leap over. I I totally understand that because it was for me, but once I did, if you can, I I recommend checking this one out. Now, cool. let's go ahead and move on to one that is almost universally shit on. Dead three D, which essentially. Yeah. It's not even really a remake. Mm-mm. It's as is more of a new story. There's elements of the original that are in it, but it it's more of a story about a mortician who has accidentally had um some corpses show up at his mortuary that reanimated and then in turn reanimated all of the corpses around them. And they start escaping into the surrounding areas and he tries to subdue the situation, but it gets out of hand and a group of people get holed up in a farmhouse. And that mortuary, uh, that uh, the mortuary attendant that is that this happens to is Mr. Sid Haig. Yeah. Now, 
I personally found, even though it is a really dull movie, the makeup effects I thought were pretty decent. If I'm going to give it anything, that's what I'm going to give it. Scott? I finally watched this, and uh, I knew its reputation right from the get-go. Like, oh, it's got this terrible reputation. When this came out, it was on, if you went to any horror site, this was like number one or two on their worst of the year list. And it's not that bad, honestly. I mean, it's not really good. Don't get me wrong. There's worse. There's far worse. Oh, there's far worse. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm like, you know, it's not that bad. It's kind of entertaining. Sid Haig has a wonderful monologue where yeah. he explains what's going on. And, you know, it plays with some of the ideas of what's happening. It's not really a remake. It starts out like a remake where you have, you know, the brother and sister going to the cemetery after that, it's kind of on its own, you know, and it goes yeah. in its own thing and it with occasional, you know, little like na- little homages or whatever in name only to the original. But it's really starting its own mythology and really only use the Night of the Living Dead thing as a way to get people to rent the damn movie. Pretty yeah. much is the, the only thing they did. The one thing I will say that hurts the movie is was its main selling point. This film had two selling points. One, that it was Night of the Living Dead, which it isn't. Two, that it was in 3D, which it does terribly. Now, Horribly. So I watched it in regular old 2D, but still you can see the 3D effects that they tried to make, you know, with like the ooh moments of coming out at the screen, and they're terrible. They're like these really bad CG slow motion bullet coming at the screen or something and they look or uh cgi pot smoke because they eventually come up on this like the cabin they come across is these people who are reluctant to call the police because they have like a pot farming operation going on it's you know the really bad effects the really bad cg effects and the and the the give the 3d 3d was always attacked uh, from its original inception in the 50s as a cheap gimmick. And periodically it's gone back and forth over the years and it's gained acceptance over the years now with its late, now it's almost become kind of, you almost take it for granted that it's part of the movies these days. And uh, this movie, it's a cheap gimmick. I will it's say complete- that. But, you know, the movie, it's this movie itself, like taken on its own narrative terms. It's not great, but I was entertained for 80 minutes. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, okay with yeah. it. <laughs> this and its sequel, Reanimation, which we can just lump these oh, two together. Boy, that um, I think Reanimation is, is a completely pointless film because why they explain everything that happens in Reanimation in the original. So it makes Reanimation, which is the prequel, such a chore to watch. You know everything that's going to happen in that movie, other than the fact that nothing really happens. In that that's the thing about that. Okay, there's the reanimation. Uh, it's called reanimation because now the Sid Haig part has been re- recast with Andrew Divoff from the Wishmaster series, and his brother comes in, who is played by Jeffrey Combs. Reanimation, get it? I got this. Roughly five minutes after the end credits rolled. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so 
pissed off at myself <laughs> that I didn't get that reference until, until I was watching the extras. Because I had the DVD, and I just never watched it until now. I was I was watching the extras on the DVD, and they said, well, I wanted to do reanimation because I love Jeffrey Combs. I'm like, well, how the hell did you know that he was going to? Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> but here's the thing. Reanimation has two wonderful performances. Andrew Divoff and Jeffrey Combs are so great to watch in that movie. Too bad they but, don't do anything. Well, that's the thing is that I couldn't hate the movie because I was watching them, but here's the thing. And then I was like, okay, and now imagine when something happens, this is going to be great. And I'm watching and I'm watching. And I'm like, and something's going to happen now. No, okay. Now. Happen now. Something happen and i'm checking the time and i'm realizing we're an hour into this movie and nothing has happened oh my <laughs> you know God. say what you will but the night of the living dead 3d it was action right away you know right away you were you were into that movie within 10 minutes the sequel or prequel as it were it took an hour before anything happened oh. But you had two great performances. So I'm like, it was a real, that one was a real mixed bag. Uh, the, the performances were fantastic. But if it weren't for them, I would say that that was complete. You know, to, to use a Derek Carey term, I would say that could complete dog shit. It is hot trash, dude. Hot it's, trash, to use another Derek Carey term. <laughs> it's some hot trash. I mean, Jeffrey Combs has the most ridiculous mustache in that flick. And it, the, the political references in that movie, it tries to be a parody. Oh, and well, and there's was, even a bad Sarah Palin character in it. That was that. You know what? Here's the thing. Is I, you know, and I don't get political on other people's shows because I don't know how they want to relate to their listeners or anything like that. I'll just state, like, you know, my own personality. I am, like, the most lefty person. You know, you might hate me because of it. But even – but a lot of the movie – and, I'm like, around – well, here's the thing. You know, around that time is great, but yeah, it, those things have aged so poorly. There was another movie, Zombie Strippers, which Oof. was – which I liked a lot. I can tell I'm alone and from Derek there. Yes, but, very much alone. <laughs> but I liked a lot, except they're like, they tried to put that into the George W. Bush presidency and that just dated it horribly. Same thing here, which is the weird thing because uh, I could be wrong, but did this movie not come out until 2012? Which one, Reanimation? Reanimation. Yes. So who gives a shit who Dick Tur who Dick Cheney and uh, Sarah Palin were at this time. At this point in history, Sarah Palin had already given up being governor. She had missed out on her chance of being vice president. Didn't she? I mean, wasn't it like, yeah. It was so dated and so old almost instantaneously. Jeremy, what do you think of these two flicks? I love Brianna Brown. The end. And of course we have Sid Haig. But the problem I have with reanimation is that it's kind of like 2001 Maniacs feel the screams where we're making fun of Paris Hilton. Why? She's not friends with Nicole Richie anymore. It's 10 years later. Why are you still bashing them when it's been so dated? Why put Palin in here when nobody gives a shit about Palin anymore or Bristol or that entire family? 
it makes zero sense. I mean, they were even going to do a Leprechaun movie where they were going to make fun of the Clintons. What was the point? Nobody thinks, well, yeah, okay. Um, but my point being is that re- 3D is a guilty pleasure. And this is what happens when you don't take the necessary steps to copyright your masterpiece. On the other hand, just because it's called Night of the Living Dead 3D, let the buyer beware. If you look at the back of the box, you could have seen what this movie was going to be about. I heard about this film through a podcast. I remember going to FYE and looking at it and thinking to myself, okay, and it has nothing to do with anything other than Sid Haig is in it, but other than that, what's the point? Well, the pot farming, I think, just gets so redundant because you have so many horror films where you have, you know, the pot smoking. And I do like the fact now that Harry Cooper is meld out because he's smoking marijuana and they're wearing tinfoil hats because they think the government is getting inside their brains and that's why they're cut off from the – I mean, how else are you going to cut – society off from the rest of the world in the 21st century and this is supposed to be taking place in the 21st century well you have barber coming across conspiracy theorists because in the 1968 version well there weren't cell phones you had one phone with a landline if that was cut you were sol but here there are so many justifications she she finds people that are smoking marijuana and are conspiracy theorists so they're not going to want to use a cell phone and they're not going to want to call for help and they're not going to realize why the zombies are attacking until it's all too late. I don't know why, because it's been a while since I've seen this movie, why they kill her off and why they don't, whatever they want to do with reanimation. I have not put reanimation to memory, but I do appreciate 3D. I mean, Jeffrey Combs is in it, reanimate. Reanimator, of course, that makes sense. It's it's Jeffrey motherfucking Combs. But when you can't use Jeffrey Combs in your movie, I don't know what to say. I really think you could take both of these movies. It's too bad that Sid Haig didn't come. As much as I like Divoff, it's too bad Sid Haig wasn't back for the prequel because then you could have done a fan cut and really cut these two movies into one good movie that could stand outside of the Night of the Living Dead name and be its own film. But as it is, if you're going to watch either of these two, just watch the first one, Night of the Living Dead 3D, because reanimation, even though it has some parts that are pretty good and the performances, as Scott had said, are good between the two leads, nothing fucking happens in this movie at all. And some of the comp work and CGI work is laughable. It is bottom of the barrel stuff i really do love those performances though i mean andrew divoff especially i want to say because well jeffrey combs is so good at the conspiracy nut you know where he talks about not drinking tap water and stuff is just perfect um his reaction but andrew divoff i never counted the wishmaster series i don't like those movies i've never liked those movies since they came out i thought they were crap and I thought that Andrew Divoff, though I'm sure like he's a perfectly nice guy, he was just like basically hamming it up in those movies. This one, he's playing a real part, and I'm like, he's 
damn good. Yeah, I agree he's, with you. I mean, he I believe him as a person, but he's also got a little bit of camp and he's kind of menacing. And I really like him in that movie, even more so. God, you know, help me for saying this. I like him even more than I liked Sid Haig in Night of the Living Dead 3D. But yeah, like you said, you know, you have a trade off. You have one movie where it's kind of hokey, but it's entertaining. And then you have another movie that has two great performances, but nothing happens. It's like the waiting for Godot of zombie movies. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I would pay to see that. that, that <laughs> I'm, I'm right. waiting, waiting for Bud. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so, so far we've had... Uh, a CGI version of Night of Living Dead. We've had a 3D version with its own sequel of Night of Living Dead. Then we had a British Night of the Living Dead, which was called the Resurrection. Now, Resurrection starts off like it's going to mix things up with a character named Ben, who is African-American, who stops to get some gas and then promptly has to run off because of a, a, a band of punks that run across a zombie that bites their dick off while they're pissing on the on the zombie. Oh, for fuck's sake! While they're filming it on their on their iPod or whatever the fuck they're they're filming it on, and he, Ben runs out of gas, walks to a, a house in the middle of nowhere, and promptly gets shot in the face then nothing happens for the rest of the whole fucking movie. It resurrection. The British version of night of living dead looks like it was shot by a guy who didn't want to actually show anything on screen. Every camera angle looks like he wants to use as much negative space as possible. Cause at, why would you want to show actors? Why, why what's the point of showing them? There's no point. Every shot is canted and full of negative space. The sound is so atrociously unmixed that halfway through I gave up. I was, I had never jerked off a volume button that hard watching a movie as I did with resurrection. Can I quote you on that? I've, I've never heard that quote before. My <laughs> button. Wow. Dude, I, I've I've been seeing that for years. <laughs> Anytime. Jerked off a volume button. Put that on a t-shirt. I, I I buy that for a dollar. Oh man, they should put that as the as the poll quote. You'll you'll never I've never jerked off a volume button as hard as I did with <laughs> Night of the Living Dead Resurrection. But um it is it is so unbelievably dull and uninteresting. Um, none of the characters are believable. You can't even hear what they're saying half the time because the moment you turn them up to hear them, some loud crash happens and you can't and you got to turn it down again because you're deaf. And then <laughs> and then by the end of it, the only character I'm going to spoil this for you because there's no reason to ever watch this movie. By the end, the only uh, character to survive, she walks out of the place. This kind of militia shows up. And promptly says, take her to the rape van. Oh, and credits. I would I, be angry on a on so many levels on that. 
including as a human being. It was horrible. I okay. hated everything about this. Have either of you guys watched this one? Obviously not, because I'd hate myself. I actually, when I when I found that I was going to be on this episode, I did my research to find every other nook and cranny and whatever I couldn't find. I, I, I again, I tried to dig anything up off of Amazon. Any, anything, I, I scuttlebutt the internet to find out what else they've done to Night of the Living Dead. I heard there was a Day of the Night of the Living Dead and Resurrection. I couldn't find Day. Genesis, I don't know when it's coming out. Yeah, it's not out yet. Okay, it's not out yet. But I found this one, and I watched maybe about 20 minutes, and it had something to do with the father or the grandfather continuously talking about God, because I guess they want to bring science and religion into this for whatever reason, which I guess would make sense. It's like they've been talking about the religious aspects since the original on why the dead are coming back to life. And they made that quote in Dawn of the Dead, where there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk on the earth. Okay, fine. And Barbara is religious because she's praying in, in the graveyard. But other than the grandfather talking about God, while one of the kids comes back as a zombie and I think bites the mother, I don't ever remember. I have never been, first of all, I've seen Shaun of the Dead and I've seen 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later. I can't believe that those movies pay more homage and respect to Romero. And this one, other than the name, it, it, it's, you're right. The, I, I couldn't understand what these characters were saying. They're mumbling. And... It, it, it the shock value. If I don't know if this was released in theaters or this just came out on digital, I'm not too sure. I know it came out a couple of years ago, but I don't know where it where it was. Wikipedia didn't help, so I don't know where it's been all this time. But it needed to stay on the ground. I again, other than the name, it has nothing to do with any social commentary. It just has zombies eating people and shock value for the sake of shock value. It is again, shoot this one in the head. Yeah. Move on this. Don't do not watch this. This is a horrible movie. Just terrible. So now we had the British one. Then we had the micro budget one, which, which was made by Chad Zuver from Ohio in 2014. Um, now I know Chad on the internet. We've been in contact for, for many years now, and he's a super nice guy. And I had made reference on Facebook to the fact that this was perhaps the worst night of living dead film I have ever seen. And while that may be the case, it's also not fair because it is also the Night of the Living Dead film with the smallest budget. This is as extremely zero budget as it gets, folks. Um, This is like the shot on video version of Night of the Living Dead. Unfortunately, it's pretty tedious. It has a typical incompetech.com royalty-free score that you hear on every YouTube video that you see. 
I, some of the things I did like about it was that it played with the ideas that the zombies are slow. So people could kind of get away from them and not worry too much. And the only time the zombies were a problem is if they weren't paying attention and they surprised them. I thought that was, that was a novel concept that not many of these other films actually explored, but some of the other things that were kind of strange about it were um, the zombies were highly affected by just telling them to stop what they were doing and push them off. (laughs) There were some weird casting decisions where there were fathers and daughters that looked to be the same age, almost unconvincing special effects where the zombies look like they're eating ham. Um, uh, there's a musical interlude. Um, why in the credits are there 10 boom operators? Um, there are, there's seven minutes of end credits showing the same 10 zombies walking in a field over and over. I'm going to have, I'm actually going to talk with Chad. I've, I've gotten a hold of him. And he's going to tell, he told me a little bit um, off air that there were a lot of problems when they were making this film and they were kind of rushed through production. But um, unfortunately, as much as I champion underground, you know, indie gorilla micro budget cinema, I can't recommend this one. I I, I really feel that any fan of Night of the Living Dead is going to have a really tough time getting through this. And unfortunately, when you call your movie Night of the Living Dead, you are going to be stacked up against the original, no matter what you do. Have either of you guys watched this one? What's it called again? A Night of the Living Dead. A One Night. No, you know what? I don't know if the micro budget was supposed to make fun of what the budget was for the original Night of the Living Dead, but I do know that the original budget for that movie was $114,000. I don't know what... I guess that would be considered micro budget back then. I don't know what the budget for this one would be, but if it's micro budget, I'm going to go on a limb and say it didn't, if this was crowdfunded, because I know Darkest Dawn was supposed to be crowdfunded and it didn't make $300 on the crowdfunding. I can only imagine what this movie got if I've never heard of it. It 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 looks like it was like a weekend warriors type of film. Um, Scott, well, you know the age thing. You know that that goes for big movies too. I mean, look at The Graduate. I mean, Dustin Hoffman was playing a teenager, but he was almost thirty. And Bancroft was the older woman; she was thirty-five. You know, come on. Uh, but that 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 well, that happens. You just try to make it not look as look so bad. Here's the thing about this, uh, and I did not watch it all the way through, so I cannot give a final opinion about the movie. I'm not going to say, oh, it's terrible or, oh, it's great. Um, I did not watch it all the way through. Uh, This is the Weasley part of me, and it's not something I'm particularly proud of, but I know how hard it is to make a movie. I know that you are working with a shoestring, and if everything works out, then God bless it. That's amazing. Um, so it's amazing that anybody can get something to work. But I usually, if I hate a really low-budget movie, I usually keep it to myself because I know that I will have Facebook friends that are somehow involved in the making of that movie. <laughs> so like, hearing you that, that, that you've been in contact with this person – I saw the first like 15 minutes of the movie 
and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't make it through. It was um, they shot it. They they um, they didn't shoot it like this. Of course, it was you know done in post, in black and white like the original. But there was no reason to really do that. Uh, they tried to duplicate the film stock, but there was no reason to really do that because it wasn't really following the plot to a T. They were adding new characters. But you just got the feeling that you were rewatching the same old movie just done with different people and done poorly. And I just couldn't get I, – I, I couldn't – if they did anything different later on, I can't say. And that's why I'm not going to give a final judgment on the movie. But I just like that first opening bit. I just couldn't get past. I said I, I can't. I can't do it. That that's roughly around the same time where I kind of sent you that Facebook message. I don't know if I'm going to have time. <laughs> <laughs> you pussy. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Totally. You know. Put it all on me, pussy, weasel, craven, coward. I deserve it. I totally deserve it. I am very sorry, but yeah, it was just not very. I I couldn't make it through it, and um, it's why I don't pass a lot of judgment in public on low budget, micro budget films. Is because I a I know how hard it is, and b I've had people offended. I've had some people threaten me actually what <laughs> I well, them, so I'm not gonna do well it. I've I have had people come at me too and most of the time we talk through it because I like I like you said I know how hard it is to do this stuff and I don't like trashing movies that really have no budget because they can't be really critiqued in the same way I feel that movies that have gotten a budget to use can be. And unfortunately, when you call your film Night of the Living Dead, no matter what the budget level is, you have to realize you're going to be judged on Night of the Living Dead. You remake any movie. I don't care how the crowd or the filmmakers, what they say to tell you this is its own thing. You are calling your film the same as an iconic film. And unfortunately, you've set yourself up for failure. And while I admire anybody that wants to take their fandom further than just loving something and creating an homage to it, I can't recommend anyone really watching this because I don't feel anyone would really enjoy this movie. I can't it's imagine just, they would. I it's it's just too amateurish. It's 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 unfortunate. So let's move on from the micro budget version. There was a stage version, there was a puppet version, there was a musical. There, <laughs> there's there's been so many different versions. But let's wrap it up with the meta version called Mimesis. What Mimesis is, or Mimesis, or whatever you want to call it, what it's about is a group of friends that are big horror convention nerds that meet this mysterious gothic girl that leads them to a party out at an old farmhouse where all of a sudden, while they're partying, they all pass out. And this is what I'm guessing 
because the way they transition it is the Ben character is taking a piss and then it's a hard (laughs) cut to black and then they wake up in the movie Night of the Living Dead. Possibly the worst transition to the main plot of a story I've ever seen. It's just like, it makes no sense whatsoever. But they wake up feeling hungover and not understanding where they are, but they're all dressed up as characters from Night of the Living Dead and zombies start attacking them and they start realizing, holy shit, we're in a movie. What the hell is going on here? So kind of like the movie The uh, the Final Girls and Scream, this is a meta quote-unquote homage quote-unquote remake quote-unquote we are taking the piss out of the original film version of night of the living dead and while the the film was gorgeous i thought the the cinematography was great the sound was decent at a decent score some of the effects work was all right it was grating to watch because I hate those kind of meta movie within movie movies. I just, they're just not my thing. I'm leaving it up to you guys to discuss because I don't want to go on and on and on about it. I'll go to Jeremy Mimesis. Okay. Again, I want to thank Wes Craven for bringing back the slasher film with Scream and making Scream 2 a party film where, where people at least were talking and yelling back like Rocky Horror Picture Show, you made it fun. And you made the slasher film fun again, and I'll give you that. I won't give you three and four, and I won't give you Nightmare or that whatever, but I'll give you Scream. George Romero, you know what I'll give you, but I don't, again, had this been copyrighted, the script, I wouldn't wipe my rear end with it, I wouldn't use it if if I had if I were in the woods and I had if I didn't have toilet paper and I had poison sumac or poison oak or the script for this movie, I would not, I would use the poison sumac because it would be a lot more enjoyable and refreshing than looking at the script. I mean, first of all, it's like people watch Scream and they say. Well, that was meta. We could do that in Night of the Living Dead. But the differences between Scream and Memesis or Memesis or whatever is that that was more psychological. This is just about three people or 12 or whatever who watch Night of the Living Dead decide to dress up as zombies, dress up victims as characters in the movie, put on metallic teeth and chomp on them. I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was a cult. I, I didn't understand anything. I mean, you talk about the transitions. In the beginning, I think there's a guy in the farmhouse and the TV comes on by itself and it starts to show uh, a preview of the original Night of the Living Dead. Do you know who that person was? No, who? That was the original Malachi from Children of the Corn. That was Malachi? Oh my God! Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gaines. Courtney B. Gaines. Yeah, that was Courtney Gaines. Yes. Jesus Christ! Oh, <laughs> uh, if only we could have gotten Isaac, that would have been so much better. If Isaac was in this instead, but 
The problem is, is that they, the way they get the Coopers is because this guy is obnoxious. And my favorite part, which I'm saying sarcastically, is when the actors are telling the guy not to start up the truck because it's going to blow up. Why don't they walk out of the farmhouse, knock on the door, open it up and drag him out of there instead of screaming 15 feet away, don't turn off because they can't hear you. You can't hear him. And I'm just saying, blow the fucking truck up already. Furthermore, the guy who plays Tom, I guess, got acting lessons from Shane McMahon. Oh, my God. This is about to get really rough here, folks. I have a feeling. Keep going, Jerry. And as for Sid Haig, I guess he had to pay his – have his water be turned on this month. I don't know what's (laughs) happening with him, but why the fuck is he in this? And and I don't – this supposed horror convention, I love how these two guys, Russell and Dwayne, they look like they're in some sort of high school. I've been to horror conventions, folks. You're you're not in a cafeteria in high school. You're if you're lucky enough, you could fight. You know the 500 people who haven't stopped eating since they were placebo, trying to get that last pretzel. So you're not going to get this sort of cafeteria. And the goth girl makes no sense. Owen, who kind of wakes up and shows up, I don't. Is he supposed to be a zombie? Is it? it, it I, I don't understand any of the shit. Furthermore, the boar's head, because it was in the original movie, is hooked up to a Wi-Fi connection where – are they supposed to upload this to other people that want to see people getting murdered? And, and Bill Heinzman, yeah, I get it. He's Lieutenant Bill Heisman because as Bill Heisman playing himself. He's a lieutenant now. And he turns to people and says, Night of the Living Dead. Yes, folks, because remember – Watching the Night of the Living Dead will make you want to put on metallic teeth and bite into people, rip out their flesh. I don't know who or what thought of this, but this movie is absolute zombie fodder. It is the biggest piece of shit I have ever seen to the injustice that is Night of the Living Dead. If if George Romero wasn't already in the ground, I would have gone over to John Russo, knocked on his door saying give me some trioxon put it down there have george Romero go george mad george smash yeah i don't think he's watched return of the living dead but and he, he always seems like this really cool laid back guy but i want to see him get i mean you're not going to get that copyright put on the movie but i would go fucking ape shit i would i would like to see a movie where john russo and all these people who have done injustice to romero trapped in a farmhouse and Romero and his friends storming the fucking farmhouse and burning these people alive. That I would pay <laughs> top dollar for. This movie is utter complete shit. Oh, it's it and I think the biggest thing about this movie, which you didn't hold back <laughs> even remotely on, that that I couldn't get past was the editing of this movie it did speed ramps oh yeah yeah the weirdest times i don't get that i I, here's the thing folks for those who don't remember for for reasons that i still don't understand to this day hollywood decided even in the 90s up until now to speed up the film and editing for for i don't know why for they, they would speed up the cars going by or night into day they do this in horror films a lot 
Oh, and there's then, a night day for night shot in Mimesis, big time. Yeah. And and they they've been doing this in movies since 1996 seven for some reason. They do it in dramas at times, but they do it a lot in horror movies. And then what they seem to be doing a lot besides slowing down, you know, like no, you know, and they start like like you know slowing down the actors and the action sequences for a suspension and whatever. Now they seem to want to in these indie movies speeding up the actors and and what they'll do is the background will be normal but the actors themselves will start to speed up quickly they've done this on the travel channel on world's creepiest destinations and that's fine but to do this in a horror film is just what are you trying to prove i think it is the Zack snyder effect because oh it looks like that kind of crap there was a lot of horrible light leak effects and flash frame reverse motion it was just the editing in this movie was so obnoxious scott did you watch this thing at all uh no i lucked out i watched you watch it (laughs) that's right halfway through last night i decided to go on facebook live because i just was i was so well at that point let's be honest i had watched so many night of the living dead movies that I was just like, fuck this, fuck my life. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? That I uh, I just started Facebook Live and Amanda and I mostly talked about getting a pizza. It was, um, I got to tell you this thing. Okay, guys. <laughs> this might say more about my sad little life than anybody else's. Derek, when he did the Facebook live of this, and I was like, oh, okay, click. That was the funniest shit I'd seen all week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad somebody. I, I am I, not kidding. It was so funny that I watched this, then started to watch the Mimesis movie, kind of got the drift, turned it off halfway through, went back to my saved videos, and watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was I got to see Derek and Amanda who is fantastic watch this movie go back and forth between watching the movie ordering a pizza Amanda going nuts about the pizza like holy shit crazy friend <laughs> 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 And then, I'm sorry, it's just the funny shit. And then going back to the dogs, <laughs> and then to the movie again, like back, and it's like hopscotching throughout the whole movie. And that's really all I needed to do because, you know, and you know, hearing Derek's commentary on this as he's going on, and Derek is absolutely right. I'm, I got this from watching him watch it. I got it from like whatever I saw of it. This is what I don't get, okay? Like, when we have, we talked about, like, A Night of the Living Dead and stuff. We talked about people who had, like, no money and were trying to get notice. This film looks great! They had a budget on this thing! I mean, this looks really good! And yet they, they used, they had no originality at all. And then they just did... The bare minimum, oh, we'll make it meta, we'll make it trendy. You can see them looking at, you know, what's going on, what's popular at the moment. They took all this obvious talent that they had for framing a movie and for directing a movie, 
and they used every cliche and just made something that was complete dog shit. It was horrible. Featuring a bunch of, you know, entitled, bored white people. I'm fucking sick of them. You know, I have to live with them in Florida. It's bad enough. And, you know, we're watching this movie. It's just, it, it's just, it's just absolutely terrible. I would rather see Derek watch this movie. I would rather hear Amanda come up with, you know, creative curse words like son of a bing bong, as I heard her say at one point. I made a note. Okay, this movie is terrible, but I am moving back up north soon. I need to somehow find a way to watch a movie with Derek and Amanda in person. <laughs> Bring pizza, bring booze. <laughs> oh, I'll supply the booze. We'll supply uh, the pizza. You how do you feel show about, Do you like wings? Do you like wings, Derek? Yes. Yes. Thank God. Shit, yeah, we will do wings. And this will be probably, and it'll probably be the best movie experience of my life because <laughs> this was amazing watching them watch this. But I absolutely agree with everything they said. You know, the film itself had so much potential. It had a budget. It They could have done anything with it. And they did the least creative thing possible. Ooh, the movies are bad for you. Fuck off. We've been hearing that for ages. The time when that was something daring to say has long since passed. Oh, it was a it was a terrible movie. And I have no trouble uh, trashing it because they could have done better and they didn't. And shame on them. It's too bad. I that's exactly what I said throughout uh, the video. If you choose to watch, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you can see it. Um, oh, it's fantastic. oh, it's amazing. I, 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 <laughs> I, my thing is, you have all the resources at your hand. You've you've obviously either kickstarted or found financers to help you in this venture, and um, you you get it all together, and you decide to do. Night of the Living Dead instead of something else. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I just felt sad that this money could have been used to do something else. It just, it's too bad. So without going on and on and on about it, let's wrap this episode up, guys. Um, When all is said and done, let's give some final thoughts on this experience because I'll tell you, man, I don't know if I need to see Night of the Living Dead for quite some time. <laughs> it, it was a, it was a very exhausting and kind of disheartening experience. Um, as much as uh, I liked a few of them, I, I feel really bad that this is something that has happened where um, uh, this film, this iconic, amazing film, has literally been drugged through the dirt and shit to the point where we're at now, where uh, the new generation won't even know what Night of the Living Dead is. They'll know this crap. And it's just it's just too bad. If, if at all possible, always just go back to Night of the Living Dead. If you are a filmmaker and feel the need to remake Night of the Living Dead because you can... Don't just move on and make something else, please. We don't need any more Night of the Living Dead films. Jeremy, final thoughts. You know, I find that there 
is hope. And I would like to put this on a t-shirt, the internet. It's not just for pornography anymore because <laughs> more and more people are complaining. And, and these aren't generation actors or baby boomers, mind you. These are millennials. And they're like, were movies really that bad back then? And they're going on the internet and they're creating these Facebook groups about movies from the 60s and 70s. And they're subscribing to podcasts. I've been talking about movies about 60s and 70s. And they come across Night of the Living Dead. And YouTubers, I really don't like to pay attention to what they say anymore because they just troll each other and it's really annoying. But everyone seems to be really nice when they get their hands on a public domain version of Night of the Living Dead. And it makes them and me smile that there's hope that they realize that it's black and white. It doesn't have sex. It doesn't have drugs. It has violence. But it's a different type of movie that I feel that if Romero never made it and we would have gotten other zombie movies and there are those Italian zombie movies. Yeah, we, we still would have gotten something, but I don't think we would have gotten Night of the Living Dead. It, 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 it's in a place by itself. And although it does suck that it's not copyrighted, or copywritten. I'm happy to know that people appreciate that version more than anything else we discussed tonight. Now, again, I think the riff tracks is a guilty pleasure. I think that reanimated listening to the audio commentaries is worth it. I think 1990 listening to the audio commentary is worth it. And the behind the scenes. I have the 40th anniversary and I love listening to the commentary. But the one thing we didn't talk about, and this is not the podcast to discuss the sequels, I feel bad that Romero had lightning in a bottle and never realized that he could do well, he did do Creep Show. But I guess that's another podcast for another time. But for anybody out, out there that's listening and wants to appreciate independent cinema, and how to make a movie, I really implore you to watch the original black and white version. See if you get your hands on the 40th. And I know on YouTube, they also have the documentary One for the Fire. And that's a great documentary about how Romero and company from start to finish made this movie a copyright. And the other tragedy, while Romero and Russo were driving to New York to sell the film, uh, King was shot that same night. So there were three tragedies during this movie. But again, they the stories have some great, uh, the commentaries have some great stories to tell. And so it's a documentary. So just the original is always the best. Scott Davis. First of all, it's not Derek's fault. But because of this show, because there have been so many imitators and so many versions and so many of this and that. I feel like even though this is a movie I usually watch a couple times a year, I don't think I want to see Night of the Living Dead for several years. Because I've had to watch it so many times, so different versions, different whatever. I'm hoping that'll change, but who knows? That's my mood at the moment. So you would think that my mood is that there should not be things like this. No. My opinion is the exact opposite. 
I think copyright law as it exists is mostly bullshit. I am all f- – and I, I, I am seriously saddened that George Romero, John Russo, everybody at that company could not have made as much money as they needed to from the outset. They absolutely deserve to. I want to put that on the record. However, let's just look at copyright law in general. Because I know that that's, that we're dealing with that effect that Night Living Dead has been public domain pretty much since the get-go. Let's look at copyright law in general. Copyright law in general basically protects your stuff for at least 100 years. Or usually around 95 years if you were made by a certain date. If you were made after a certain date, it's 70 years after your death. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry that's ridiculous. Uh, originally, there was a rule that it, when it was first made up in this country that copyright law protected you from seven years. That's too soon. That's too little. Then it was 14 years. That's too little. Then it was 28 years. You know what? 28 years is really fair. I'm sorry. It's really fair. If you can't make all your money in 28 years, you're fine. I keep thinking back and thinking back to like, original like uh, filmmakers who maybe don't have a lot of resources at their disposal what could they do if they weren't being flagged by copyright trolls now i know this opens the floodgates to a lot of shameless opportunists and that's too bad but i think it also opened up the floodgates to a lot of creativity out there i think that there should be a little bit more flexibility in copyright laws. Now, why am I saying this when we're talking about Night of the Living Dead being public domain from the get-go? I'm saying this because we see all these different versions of Night of the Living Dead and it's overload. Okay, I get it. Imagine if they were able to spread this out a bit more and people could do their own versions of different movies and maybe have a law that it has to put at the beginning, this is not official, this is not sanctioned by the makers of whatever. But I think that you can do it and still respect the, still respect the rights of the owners to have made a profit for as long as they could and still open up the floodgates to something greater. I think you have a point, Scott. I, I really do because I I'm a lover of fan uh fan versions of films. Like right. um yeah, fan films like st- the Star Wars fan film community is amazing and I think it opens it up to other other places stories can go and I think you do have a really great point and I want to add something um sorry to cut you off but I I I think the way the copyright law is right now with the public domain movies, it really restricts the kind of remake you can make. Yes. Off of these. And that's why these films so feel so familiar is because they have to remake the original film. They can't just take the name, take an element and do their own thing. And unfortunately, because of this, is why we get these really bad retreads of the same thing. Um, yeah, look at all the stuff that we loved in years past. Uh, you were mentioning we were mentioning some of the old movies that we used to watch. You mentioned them, and I'm thinking about older movies and stuff like that. And imagine what you could do is like, okay, let's take this idea from that movie 
and add this thing and this will be part of this new mythology. And you can like flag it, like I said, but you can go off in your own direction. I think 28 years, which at one point in American history was the extent of copyright law. I think that's a fair enough time to give the filmmakers, to give the people, the creators of the art enough time to make a profit on something as they deserve to do. After that, I think it should go to people. And I think it should be in their hands to create something new from it. I think copyright law restricts more than it uh, nurtures. And it especially when it, you, you have something that is where it extends long after the original people have passed on, I think now you're basically just shoveling profits into people's pockets who haven't really earned it. You know, give it to people who will do something with it. So, I mean, I like the Night of the Living Dead stuff in spirit. I feel that there's too much of it. I think, though, if you could spread the wealth of it more, I think you could see some really amazing stuff. I think so, too. And I agree with you um, to a certain extent. And I think, you know, through talking this through, it, it really is the restrictive clauses of the way the copyright law is on remaking these public domain films that have put us where we are today and why these films just are unfortunately just don't work and aren't fun to watch where if you were allowed, if these people were allowed to make quote unquote fan films, which a lot of these kind of are that can branch out. I think we would be in a much better place. What an exhausting <laughs> experience this has been. Feels um, like we've been through it, doesn't it? Oh my God. The amount of Night of Living Dead films I've watched in the last week is just <laughs> stupid. And I, I think at some point, maybe next year, I'll do Dawn of the Dead exploitation. And oh, uh, because that's an, an entirely different thing. And there's Day of the Dead exploitation as well. There is not to the extent that the first two films have, but there is no. where yeah. Dawn of the Dead takes a different route to a different country altogether. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. So. Oh, well, we'll get into that in the future. But tonight, thank you for taking this journey with us. Um, I know not all of you will agree with us, but um, as fans of this film, unfortunately, we have very strong opinions <laughs> about this kind of thing. So thank you for, for joining us. Uh, next week, we'll be back with more John Waters. We're finally getting back to John Waters being a sassy ass with serial mom anyways let's move on to the shilling portion of this show which i kind of already started but uh scott davis where can my listeners find you you can find me at uh, moviocrity.com and uh, you can catch my web series which i hope to start pretty soon again i'm not sure at vimeo.com slash channel slash moviocrity awesome jeremy well I've been on this show several times and I really, again, to the bottom of my heart, Derek, thank you for letting me be on this one. But I do want to put in a request that out of respect for George Romero, could I be played out and, you know, just quote some lines from the original film? Go ahead. Thank you. 
They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it now, I mean it. You may be the boss down here, but I'm the boss up here. We don't have much time. It's almost a quarter to three. Yeah, they're dead. They're all, they're all messed up. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. That's another one for the fire. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.